think, man, I love our church family. I just love the people. I love being able to um, hear just how people's weeks have gone, what God's doing in their life. We have a great church family. Don't you think so? Man, so do I. And uh, we also like to always say welcome to everybody watching online. We're so glad that you're joining us today and um, just pray for you during the week. And we'd love to meet you sometime in person. So we want to invite you to come and check out South Point on a Sunday. And we're going to jump right in this morning um, and just listen to God's word. And before we do that, uh, let's just pray and ask God to speak to us, to open our hearts to everything that he wants to say to us today. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. And God, we just know that, um, Lord, your word is supernatural and that you're a supernatural God who wants to interact in our lives, God, who wants to lead us into life and life to the fullest like your word promises. Father, we ask you today to speak to our hearts, to help us to hear, God, what you're saying. Lord, to um, show us, Lord, what you're leading us to do, God, and to respond to that. Lord, we honor you, and we just thank you for all that you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, today we're going to talk about something that I feel like God laid on my heart a few weeks ago and um, just really believing that God's going to ignite something in us today. When we think about the church, uh, the church kind of falls under like two big umbrellas. And uh, what those big umbrellas are, when I say the church, what I mean by the church is not like the building because the building is not the church. The people are the church. So uh, when we leave here, it's South Point leaving here in a bunch of um, uh, little pieces to go out and to be the church all over our community. Then that's why one of our core values is church seven days a week because uh, we are being the church. And isn't that great to be a part of? And 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 not only in this community. But we're part of the church, the capital C church as a whole. Like, there are people all over the world that are on this team, that are, that are going for the same vision and the same mission. That's what being the church is all about. It's something much bigger even than what we experience here on a Sunday morning. And so when we think about the church, we think about kind of these two big umbrellas. We think about, um, number one, the church uh, reaches the lost. They reach people who do not know the hope of Jesus, who do not know what salvation in Christ is like, who do not know what life and life to the fullest, like Jesus talked about in John 10, 10. They don't know that. And so our job as the church, like Jesus left us here to fulfill that calling of reaching people who don't know him yet. And then uh, the other big umbrella of the church is discipling those who are found, so to speak, who are, who are following Christ and who are saved. And so today, with those two big umbrellas, we're going to talk about about um, reaching the lost and, and what that means, because um, that's at the top of God's list, and so since it's at the top of God's list, it should be at the top of our list to help other people to find Christ, and so we never want to um, neglect that as a church, because really, if we start neglecting that, um, then God stops operating among us, and so uh, we're going to talk about that in a few different ways um, this morning, and kind of walk through um, the mindset of that, and what that looks like, so uh, the call, like, what are we called to? to do, because um, anything that I'm going to do in my life, I want to make sure God's mandating for me to do, uh, because it's pointless if I'm doing something and it's not God's will for my life to be doing it, and so we're going to talk about that call and what that looks like, and then um, the culture, these are all going to start with C, right, because you know that's a preacher thing, <laughs> okay, so I can't help it, just go with it, um, the culture is the second one, what's the culture that we live in, because if, if we're called to do this, then who are we uh, reaching, what does that look like, what, what do the people look 
look like? Um, the complications, what, what kind of keeps us from doing that? And then the last one is our course. How do we do that? Because I think we could probably say that, um, probably most everybody sitting in this room would say, yes, I want to help. Uh, is that clicking? Can y'all hear that? That's probably my hair, okay? So if y'all can hear that, I'm sorry. hope it's not bothering you. I can hear it. Can y'all hear clicking? Yeah, a little bit. I'm sorry. Oh, it might be my, oh, here, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just taking out my earring, okay? <laughs> okay. Girl preacher problems, right? <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, uh, that's what it is. But I'll try not to let that uh, mess up my train of thought here. Uh, but then the last one is our course. How are we supposed to do it? Because most people, um, they do want to say, touch somebody's life. They, they want somebody to find Christ. They want to be instrumental in that. But they kind of go like, I don't know really how to do that. Like, like, what is my steps for doing that? So um, we'll walk through those things this morning, and then hopefully when we leave here today, um, God will ignite something in us and give us some tools to really go out and to, to make a difference. So we're going to jump right in. You can grab your notes. And um, this first section, like I said, it's our, uh, basically our call, if you want to fill that in in your notes. And we're going to read a scripture in Luke that says this. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And, you know, that is found in Luke chapter 15. And then Jesus goes on and he tells a story of the lost coin and a lady who, you know, she lost a coin. She swept her house. She looked for it. She found it. And then all her friends came over and they were so excited that she found the lost coin. And then um, a story that's super familiar to many of us of, of um, the prodigal son that's lost. And, and he goes off and it's even of his own doing and it's his own fault. Isn't that a great story of hope? That's what that song say. You know, I, what I love about the song that we sing is that um, it's really like singing scripture. It's really like singing about what God says about your life uh, because that whole mess that the prodigal son got in was his own doing. But yet the father loved him and the father was ready to welcome him back home even after his dumb mistakes. Aren't you glad that God is ready to welcome you home and restore you when you make dumb mistakes in your life? That, that's the heart of God. And so we can have that hope and know that. And so really that whole um, Luke chapter 15, but if you look at even the entire Bible, it's basically making the case to say God loves people. And he cares about people, and he wants to restore them, and he wants to give them not only eternity, but he wants to be there in this portion of their lives, to give them life and life to the fullest in this portion. But how do they find that? And, uh, you know, it comes back to us as the church. Yes, God could do it all by himself in a moment, but God uses us, the people, to reach other people. And that's what's so great is that we have a personal investment in it. And you know that because um, in Matthew, the last thing in chapter 28, Jesus, he's getting ready to leave. He's, get, he's been, he's rose from the grave. He's been on the earth. He's been hanging out with people for 40 days. Uh, and then he's getting ready to ascend to heaven. And basically he's got a whole bunch of people um, that are there watching him. And this is where he says those famous last words. And in the church, you know, you kind of, um, we call it the great commission. But he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. 
I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. I want you to baptize them, and then I want you to teach them to do everything that I've taught you to do. Like, that's what I want you to do, church. And, you know, that's what Jesus, like, mandated us to do. So we know, like, this is our call as the church. Like, not like our call as the organization church, but it's like our call personally as the church. Like, Jesus wants you to reach other people. He wants you. Because how, if, and I'm going to talk about this later on my message, but if I said, raise your hand if somebody that was in your life that you personally knew had an instrumental part in leading you to Christ. Probably nine out of ten people in here would say yes. Somebody that I was close to. God wants to use us. It's our call to do that. It's our call to do it. So how, how do we do that? Who are we going to? And that's kind of the culture that we live in, that next section. So we know, like, hey, this is, this is what God has called me to do. But who am I reaching? Before we go on vacation, I'm a big researcher. So thank, I'm so excited. Like, back when Scott and I very first went on vacations, um, our very first vacation was our one-year anniversary. We went to Eureka Springs, okay? And uh, I had graduated from college that day, and I was like, okay, let's leave tonight. I was so excited. I love to go on vacation. I'm like the vacation cheerleader in my family, okay? Okay, and uh, so I'm like, let's leave tonight, and Scott's like, no, I don't want to leave tonight, I don't like driving in the nighttime, you know, and all that, and I'm like, oh, come on, don't be a fuddy duck, so if you have uh, driven to Eureka Springs before, you know, it's like all the, like, winding roads and hills and, you know, getting up in there and everything, and um, this was before cell phones, this was before, you know, you could look at your weather app and be like, can I go to church today, is the rain going to pass by 930, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, uh, you know, that kind of deal, and so we leave, it's like pitch black, and like the worst thunderstorm you have ever imagined in your life happens, okay, and so we don't know if we're going to die, literally, I mean, and Scott's like, see, this is why we don't drive at night, you <laughs> All that. And, uh, you know, I mean, like, really, we're scared, okay? And we're, like, going down. You don't know. You're like, am I going to be plunging into water here? I mean, it was terrible. By the time we got there, I thought we might get a divorce on our first year anniversary. Uh, it was just one of those trips. And so, you know, back then you couldn't research it. Um, but now, you know, you can research. And that that is me. I'm the queen of, like, okay, what are the best, 10 best restaurants? And where can we eat at, uh, you know, the whole time that we're here? What is the absolute best place to stay? What night are they going to have fireworks? What night is there going to be an outdoor concert? You know, does anybody else do that? Yes? Like, thank you, Amy. Okay, when we went to Disney World, I'm like, okay, here's the parks. Here's all the parades that happen at the parks. Okay, here's the, what time. Okay, so we knew our entire, like, seven days before we ever stepped foot. Scott's like, we're going to do all that? And I'm like, yes, we're doing all that, okay? Um, and it was a great trip. Uh, but I said that to say it's more effective when we know what we're dealing with, right? We have a better vacation when we research it. We have a better, we get a better refrigerator when we look at the reviews online, right? Uh, hopefully. Uh, and so that's the same principle with this. What is the culture that we are living in today? Um, so I did a lot of research on just looking at that because sometimes we take for granted that everybody else believes what we believe or looks at things the way that we look at things, and we kind of naturally take that for granted. And so as I begin to kind of research what kind of culture do we live in, uh, I ran across um, 
a research study that was done by Barna Research Group, and it was done in 2017, and it was actually a follow-up study to one that was done all the way back in 1993. So they decided that they would do 25 years later kind of the same kind of survey and questionnaire. And so they questioned about 1,800 people, about 600 people of those were millennials, about 600 of those were Christians, and then 600 were kind of like a melting pot, and some of those crossed over like Christian millennials and, you know, that kind of thing, but they asked them just a series of questions and interviewed them and um, had them answer questionnaires to kind of get this uh, feel for what is um, Christ and salvation, what is the take on that in current culture? How many people do subscribe to those beliefs? And ha- how many people, how do they feel about truth and what biblical principles are? And um, so really important things uh, came up in these findings. And I wanted to share just a couple of them with you today because it is so important. Um, one of those things with our culture is something called uh, post-Christian era, if you've ever heard that. And so post-Christian era, it kind of means that um, basically, if you look at this, 44% of Americans would be considered post-Christian. And what's so great is they didn't just say, check a box, like, hey, I'm a Christian, or no, I'm not a Christian. Uh, So there's 16 questions, and they have to check, like, at least nine to be identified as, like, hey, um, I am kind of, like, in this post-Christian era, you know, this would follow me. And so, um, like, I'm an atheist, I haven't been to church in the past year, I've never made a commitment to Jesus. So uh, 44% of people, so almost 50% of the people that are in our culture and in our society really would be considered post-Christian, which means that maybe some of the ideas as a believer, and you may be here today and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm part of that group, like I'm still trying to figure it out. And what I love about our church is that uh, we're a figure-it-out church. Like, you don't have to come with it already figured out. You know, isn't that great? Like, there's a huge spectrum that we can't even grasp of where people fall on the I follow Jesus. And, and what's so great, and this is why we don't judge people, is because uh, you may be here, and this person may be here, and they may not be here yet. Like, God may not have even spoke that to them in that moment in their life, so they don't even know or understand that yet. And so we don't judge them, and we let God work it out. We don't work it out for people. We let God work it out. And so um, that may be you sitting here today. But, but as we understand that as people who say, you know, I want to help people reach the law or um, find Jesus. I want to reach lost people. Then we have to understand that it takes a higher empathy level. It takes a higher love level. It takes a higher understanding level to say, you know what? Um, it's not my job to convert them. It's just my job to lead them to the love of Jesus, and they'll let him do the rest, right? And so um, when we begin to uh, talk to people, we don't talk to people in terms of like they might already know everything. We point them to the fact that Jesus knows everything. That's what we point them to. Um, And then the second one is this, which is so big. It's this idea of relativism. And I hope, I wish all that wasn't on there, like, immediately from this. So y'all try not to read ahead, okay? Who's a read ahead? Are you a read ahead in school? I'm a read ahead, too, okay? So I'm preaching to the choir on that one. Um, But basically, relativism is this, like, you do you like mindset, which is a great thing, which is what our country was founded on. That's why we have the religious freedoms that we have. But at the same time, with this relativism, I think these are super important things that we understand. 
35% of Americans agree that moral truth is absolute. So basically what that means is only 35% of people in America really believe that, like, okay, I take the Bible, like, for at its word. You know, like, what it says. So this is the absolute truth. So 65% of people believe that this is a sliding scale according to who I am. Okay, so it's important for us to know. Um, 91% of people say the best way to find yourself is to is by looking within yourself. Okay, so as we go through these things, like I, I think it's important for us to understand and really look at that all that all this is all like found in the context of love. Okay, that, that's important for us to know. But as we say, like, we, we don't find ourselves by looking inwardly. We find ourselves by looking upwardly. I, I mean, that's just, uh, that's really the truth. And, and so um, trying to say that in all understanding that people are searching, 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 searching. Well, this is how I feel. You can't trust your feelings. Like, the only thing that can 100% be trusted is what God's word says about who you are and what he created you to be, and what your life can be like. Like, I found myself here, and, and praise God that these promises about my life, these promises about who I am, are what I can hold on to. Because if I held on to what I feel about myself, I'd feel pretty crappy a lot of the time. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you, right? If I held on to what I thought about myself or who I thought, my life would not be what God intended for it to be. So it's, it's, and the reason I cover this is because it's important for us as believers to understand some of these principles because they're very pervasive and they can even kind of make us go, mm, maybe that's the truth. So we have to, as a church, really understand, like, how do I maintain, like, this absolute truth while at the same time, like, maintaining love? Does that make sense? So 91% say the best way to find yourself is by looking in. 79% of people say they can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. We're going to skip that one because that gets way too deep for one sermon, right? <laughs> okay. So 57% um, of people say whatever's right for your life or works best for you is the only truth you can know. Okay. Um, that's not the only truth that you can know. The, the truth that you can know and grab onto is who God says you are and what God says about your life. If we start grasping at what other people say about our lives, if we start grasping about what I think about my life, it becomes dangerous territory. And the only reason it becomes dangerous is because you miss out on God's best for what he has for you. Like what this says, as I've said before, is like the winning lottery numbers for life. Like, it's like, like if somebody, Scott and I, we discussed that we took a long drive on vacation, 14 hours, and we passed a sign that said, um, $158 million, like, Powerball. And Scott said, what would you do with that money if you won that? And so for, like, an hour, we discussed everything we would do with $158 million. Don't you love to do that sometimes? And I'm like, oh, I'd buy my mom a house. I'd, you know, do this, you know, do all of these things, right? And, and that's why I said it is because, like, Yes, if somebody said, here's the ticket, here's the numbers, all you got to do is go cash it in, I would be cashing in for $158 million, right? And it's the same thing, except people get confused. and like, yeah, I don't think these are the winning lottery numbers. I'm going to try and see what works best for me. When we start trying to do that, th that is Satan's perfect like, yes, please believe that so I can just get you all confused about uh, the best plans for your life. And then the last one, 60% of people believe it's extreme to attempt to convert others to your faith. 
Like, so, so we're talking about believers, 60%. So six out of 10 people in this room believe mm, leading somebody else to Christ is out of my reach. I, I don't know that I can do that. If we get locked down in the church to believing that, that's exactly what's going to steal all that God's created and destined us to do. So if that's our culture, like, how do we uh, overcome that? How do we figure that out? How do we navigate that? I'm going to tell you a couple different stories about Luke, uh, my son, and he's almost 20 years old. And uh, two different times on vacation, uh, he got lost. One time we were at Schlitterbahn in uh, Texas. Has everybody been to Schlitterbahn in New Braunfels, Texas? Okay, he was like uh, five years old, okay, and there's a gigantic pirate ship at Schlitterbahn, okay, and it's got like water falling on you everywhere. It's like a big toy, like water cannons people are shooting. There's like water slides coming out. Has anybody ever experienced this giant pirate ship? Anybody ever been on that? <laughs> okay, it's terrifying. And uh, <laughs> Luke and I, we're on this, and we're like running around, you know, he's all excited, and Luke was like a very like excited kid and he he's always just been bigger than life and loved life and all that and I turn around and Luke is gone at Schlitterbahn he's not we're going up to the water slides on the pirate ship and he is gone and I immediately go to freak out mode you know I'm, I mean I am search I mean how many have you anybody ever lost your kid Okay, you know, I mean, like, if you have children, you know the panic, like, and I don't even say that lightly, I mean, immediately, you know, you're like, I'm at Schlitterbahn, there's predators everywhere, you know, I mean, you're just like, that's where predators go, and, I, you know, I'm just like searching for him everywhere. The people around me can obviously see the panic. You know, water is just drenching me. I can't find my kid. I can't even see, you know, basically. And Luke was probably gone for maybe a minute to two minutes, and that seemed like, eternity to me until I finally found him and like he wasn't really panicked at all <laughs> he's just kind of like I'm chilling at the water cannon you know and I'm like and you know I didn't go why did you leave me I didn't I'm like all I do is grab him up and hug him and then uh one other time that he got lost me and Scott we look like stellar parents <laughs> these two stories <laughs> you can, we you can't trust us with your kids we won't lose them I promise uh and we were at Disney World this time, actually, and we, had, we were at Epcot, and Luke was nine at the time, and we had reservations at one of the dinner places there, and there's a little bit of extra time, and so we decided we'd stop by this Nemo exhibit, and so it was like this indoor thing, if you've ever been there, and there's aquariums everywhere, and you're just like looking, and it was kind of drizzly and raining, so there really weren't that many people there, and there really uh, wasn't anybody inside this indoor exhibit, and it was probably a room maybe about as big as this room right here. So it's Avery, Scott, and I, Luke, you know, we're kind of all looking around at things and stuff. And I turn around to show Luke something. And when I turn around, a man, a strange man, is holding Luke's hand, walking off with him. And I, I, just, I just screamed. I said, Luke! And Luke, like, looked up at the guy, because he thought it was Scott. And he looked up at the guy, and he let go, and he ran back to me. And, I, and Scott turns around at the same time. And our whole family, I mean, we were just, like, shell-shocked. Uh, and the guy 
basically slips out the door uh, in the whole uh, chaos of everything, and, and we're just trying to, like, understand what just happened. I mean, I, I can't even, like, and as I say that, y'all are like, did you call the police? Did you alert authorities? Did you do, you know, you ever, like, watch something and go, why did those people do this? Why didn't they do that? And I'm like, I no longer say that, because sometimes when scary things happen to you, you're so overwhelmed at the moment that you're almost paralyzed, and I feel that's kind of how we were at that moment, and so <laughs> I, I just look back at that, and every time I look at that story, I just think, God, thank you <laughs> that you are in control of our lives and that you protected Luke that day. Because I, I, I just, I still look back at it and so surreal to just understand that that happened to our family. And uh, I share this, the reason I share those stories is because of this. Like, by nature, we as people, we care about the things that directly impact us, right? And so, like, if this is going to impact me, this is going to make my life better, this is going to make my life worse, then I care about those things, fixing them, or whatever. And so, as I was praying about this and thinking kind of through it, I'm like, God, because I really felt like the Lord laid this on my heart to share this morning. So, I'm like, how do I make other people want to reach other people for Christ because it really doesn't directly benefit them. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I lead somebody to Christ, like, if I take the time out of my schedule, if I put them on my prayer list and I, like, really remember to pray for them, if I do all of these things, it's, it's really, like, me out of, like, just following your calling. It doesn't directly benefit me. Does that make sense? So how do you, how do you raise that priority level in people's lives who are already, already so, always so busy in their lives and have all their stuff going on? And, you know, as I thought about that, I just thought, Everybody has felt what it feels like to be lost. Like, as a child, like, I'm talking about physically lost. Or everybody has felt like what it feels like to lose their child and how absolutely horrible and terrifying that is. And that's what it feels like to the heart of God. God sees Satan walking away with his people, with his kids, every day. He sees him them walking out the door with addiction, walking out the door with broken marriages, walking out the door with failures and shame, walking out the door with discouragement and lack of hope. He sees that every day, and he's saying, somebody care about that. Those are my kids. Somebody care. And, and, and so, you know, for me, I just go, okay, God, help us to care. Help us to, like, take our situations and transpose them onto how you feel. Because the truth is, as a church, we cannot become anesthetized of reaching the lost by how good church feels for us, and it becomes about us, which is what we do sometimes. Like, oh, my family's doing good. My family's thriving. We're coming. We're, we're doing all right. Things are going good for us, and church becomes about us. And really, church is not primarily about us. Church is about people who don't know yet. And, and so we can't um, just let that, like I said, anesthetize us to being numb to other people's problems and hurting. We have to understand the culture that we live in and the call that we have on our life and begin to touch people's lives. It's not, that 60%, it's not out of our reach. And here's what I love about this. There's a scripture that says this, um, in Ecclesiastes, if I can find it in my notes here. Um, where is it? I think I put it later on in my message that I was going to share with you. But basically Solomon says this, God's planted eternity in the heart of every man. God has planted eternity in the heart of every man. Listen, right now I have a family member that is in such a desperate absolutely unbelievable situation in their life that I can't believe that we're here as a family. 
and, and they seem completely immune to what I'm saying to them, to the love that I've shared with them, to um, the hope that they know. The only time it comes up about God is when they're in the back of a police car going, well, my blah, blah, blah is a pastor. <laughs> yeah, that, that's when it comes up about Jesus, okay? Just be real. But here's what I do know. Here is what I know. That no matter what I see, God has planted eternity in that heart. And I may not see one shred of evidence that there's a response to that, but I know, because I know that God's word says it, and it's true, that there's something going on there. That, that I don't have to give up hope, that they may even act totally averse to the love and the hope of Jesus Christ, but I know that that's just a front. And I know it's just a front because God says, hey, I put it in there. They can't get away from it because I'm the creator. Like, they, can, they can't say, I don't want it. I'm not going to do it. They can't get away from it because God created them with that need in their life, and nothing else can fill it. So I want to encourage you to know today that you can reach out, that you can make a difference. How many of you, I'm so thankful that somebody made a difference in my life and said, I'm going to reach out to this very lost-looking freshman in college who looks like they don't care a world about Jesus or who he is, and I'm going to continually invest in her life so that she can find God's love and God's hope for her. I'm so thankful somebody did that to me despite, in spite of what they saw. And we can have hope for that. So how do we do it? We're going to skip complications because I'm long-winded. It's already 1030, and I know y'all want to leave. Okay, so, uh, well, you don't want to leave probably, but you're like, uh, here's Scott's, if y'all ever want to know Scott's cue to wrap it up, if I ever lean over and sigh, that means wrap it up, okay? Yeah, like, you have so much to say and so much time to say it, and then you got to get on with it, right? So, all right, so how do we do it? Um, the last section, our, our call, how do you take that and go to that next level? Um, that scripture's in Ecclesiastes 3.11, by the way, in case it's not in your notes about eternity in the heart of every man. Um, section 4, the, in this, it says, how do we share our faith? Number 1, it says this, share with someone with who you already have a relationship. Share with somebody that you already have a relationship with. You know, uh, what I love about that scripture that we shared at the very first in Luke that talks about leaving the 99 and going after the one, that one was already in his fold. It was a sheep he already knew. And he went out, so he knew that sheep. He didn't go to somebody else. He didn't go to another shepherd's fold. So he left his fold, and he went out, and he looked for a lost sheep from somebody else's fold. No, it was his. God has placed people in your life who need Jesus. You already have them in a relationship with you. Who are those people that God's laying on your heart? Who is it that God wants to touch? And look for them. And like I said earlier, that same research study by Barna said that 9 out of 10 people, they make a life-changing decision by having a conversation with somebody that they're close to. Who is it that God's placed in your life? And then um, the second thing is this. Be prepared by praying. Be prepared by praying. We can't go into battle. And, and let me tell you this. Let me just go ahead and tell you this. If you start trying to win somebody to Christ, you're going you're gonna to face a battle. Because Satan doesn't want to give them up. Okay? And um, I don't know if that seems foreign to you or not, but the thing is, the Bible says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. If you think you have a problem with somebody at work and it's that person, it's not that person. 
The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers of darkness. Uh, my daughter, she's having a problem with somebody, and I said, let me tell you, Satan wants to steal this good thing that God's doing in your life, and you're not really wrestling against them. You're wrestling against Satan who wants to rob you of the thing that God wants to do in your life. Okay, and so we have to keep that perspective in mind. And when you begin to say, I'm going to make a kingdom impact, I'm going to see somebody rescued from darkness and brought to light, then you're going to have a battle on your hands. The Bible tells a story in the book of Acts of... um, they're called the seven sons of Sceva. Anybody ever heard of them? So the seven sons of Sceva, they go, and they're, like, ready to make an impact, and they go to this uh, demon-possessed person, and they're going to, like, cast out this demon. And this demon says, like, I know Paul, I know Jesus, but I don't know you. And the Bible says that the demon, through the guy, jumps on him and beats him naked, and they run out of the house, okay? Uh, let me just tell you that that story is still now relevant today. Like, it's going to, you're going to... Um, face things that are difficult if you start trying to make a kingdom impact and you have to be ready because the thing is God's bigger than any attack Satan wants to bring on your life right but you have to be ready so how do you get ready um here's what the Bible says you pray the earnest prayer of a righteous person has amazing power and produces wonderful results when you begin to pray Like, Satan cannot stand against your prayers. Now, it may not happen in the timeline that you think, but that's okay because God is working. Uh, You know, I've been praying prayers over my kids since they were born. There's some prayers, and then sometimes it gets, like, sticky, and I'm like, I don't know, you know. Is that going to happen? And I felt like the Lord speaks to me one time and say, do you believe, do you have faith in the prayers that you've been praying? then you keep on praying those prayers and believe that I can deliver on the promises that I've given you in my word. And so we have to be prepared when we begin to pray. And, and so there's a scripture that I pray over people that I'm praying for that are lost, and it says this in Acts 26, 18. Will you open their eyes? Will you turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God so that they can find forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith? Like, I know this is like a bunch of scripture and a bunch of message, but I hope that it stirs your heart to say, I need to care about this. But I pray that uh, that scripture, if it's not up there, um, Acts 26, 18, write that down and begin to pray that over lost people. And then the last one, like, this is like uh, this section. Uh, set a reminder on your phone. Set a reminder on your phone. Every night at 8.30, I have a reminder on my phone to go to bed. (laughs) Does anybody have that bedtime thing on their phone? It's like the greatest ever. And it does this like, doo-doo-doo. And if I'm like at my book club or I'm somewhere and they're like, what's that? And I'm like, it's time for me to go to bed in an hour. (laughs) Because like, what do we do? We watch TV. We read a book. We get on Netflix. You know, we're binge watching something, that kind of stuff. And we forget, right? So I set a reminder to go to bed. Okay, same thing. Set a reminder. Pray for so-and-so. It may go off while you're driving to work. We're not taking, like, long prayers. God, will you touch them today? Will you speak to their lives? Will you show them how much you love them? Will you open conversations? That's it. And begin to pray that prayer over them. Come prepared. You don't go into battle. You don't go on vacation. Or you almost drown or die in a car wreck, right? (laughs) Because of the storms. Be prepared. Okay. And then um, the last one, remember it's not you. Let me just say, like, all you're doing is telling people of the love and hope of Christ. It's not up to you to convert them. Um, It says this in this scripture in 1 Corinthians. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Like, all the pressure's off you. 
All you have to do is share the love of Christ with people. And it's up to them to respond and up to God to convert them. And then um, the last thing, we give this out in Growth Track. It's just a guide that we give to help people understand how to lead somebody to Christ. Um, And it's a great thing. Develop a relationship. Develop a relationship. You can't um, impact somebody's life unless you have a relationship with them. Um, It's the same thing parenting your kids. Um, Rules without relationship, it just doesn't work. You have to have relationship along with those guidelines. The same thing, trying to speak the love of Christ to somebody without relationship is real difficult. So find that person that the Lord wants you to develop a relationship with. Is it the um, soccer mom that you sit next to? Uh, I had the privilege about five years ago of baptizing a lady that was a mom on a soccer team that Avery played on. And it was one of the most um, exciting experiences of my life to be able to walk her through start to finish um, in that process. And so... But it started with just developing a relationship, walking at South Lakes around that track while they were at soccer practice, just talking life and talking like this is what's going on. Um, And then sharing your personal story is that next thing. Share your story. Do you know if God's not doing anything in your life, then there's nothing to share. You know, and but when you're able to say, this is what God did for me, or this is how God brought me through. If God is alive in you, it's contagious. Share your story. And then the last thing is invite them to something meaningful that will encourage their faith. Invite them to your small group. Invite them to something that uh, we have at church. And we're going to have another family night on the first Wednesday in August. We're going to do inflatables again. And, um, you know, I don't know all what we're going to do. Hamburgers, Cokes, that kind of thing. Uh, we'll have Friends Day in September. Invite them to those kinds of things. Invite them to VBS. Invite them um, just to the different things that are meaningful. And as you begin to invite them and, and they begin to experience what real life is about, it's almost irresistible almost irresistible. Develop a relationship. Share your story of what God's doing in your life and then invite them to something meaningful and just watch what God will do. I want to encourage you. This is how I wanted to end today. I want to encourage you to ask God to begin to lead you to one person that he would like for you to lead to Christ in the next year. Would it not be amazing if every person in this room on June 23rd of 2020 said, I led one person to Christ this year. I led one person. I prayed for them. I loved them. I invited them. I poured into their life. And that, and that doesn't look easy. This person that I was talking about earlier, you know, <laughs> it's a big hassle a lot of the time, you know. And um, somebody asked me about that, and I said, well, I didn't think it was going to be easy. You know, like people are messy, right? People are messy. Situation. My kids, when they were growing up, they'd say, I'm sorry, you know, I got in trouble, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, you know what? When you were born, I never expected you to be perfect. I knew that this would happen, so we're just going to work through it, right? Or they'd say, gosh, this is really expensive, Mom. Thanks for buying this. And I'd say, you know what? When you were born, I didn't expect you were going to be free. I knew that you would probably need clothes one day and, you know, that kind of stuff, right? And when you lead somebody to Christ, it's not always going to be like uh, roses and butterflies, okay? And so you kind of have to be ready for that. But you know what? God wants to touch them through you. So I want to encourage you, take your bulletin insert today, put it somewhere in your Bible, on your mirror, wherever, put their name in your phone, set a reminder, and start praying today. If you don't have that specific person's name, ask God to lead you to who that person is throughout the next year. But as the church, let's care about what God cares about. 
Let's care about what God cares about and let's go out and let's not expect the organization of the church to be the sole winning mechanism for the world because it's not the organization of the church, it's the people of the church. And if we can get ignited to do that, I think God can start a revival that changes our world. So can we pray this morning? Father, we love you and we believe, Lord, God, that you're still in the business of winning souls. That, God, that that's not a past thing. That you still want to change people's life. That you don't want the church to be about people going from one church to the next and church growth being about um, church changes. But you want church growth to be about the lost being found. God, and we pray that we are a church, God, that cares about the lost. Lord, I pray that um, every person in this room, that you lay on their heart somebody that you want them to personally impact God. Father, that we would be diligent, that we would be soul winners, Lord. God, and we're going to trust you, God, that people are going to be rescued from darkness to light. That Satan's not going to walk out the door with people, but that this year, God, we're going to be a part of seeing.